Podcast Marks with Sean Hackett. Sean is with Hackett Financial Advisors and check him out on his website at hackettadvisors.com. And Sean is one of my guys I have on here uh, every couple of weeks, jump in and talk about some stuff. And what I like about Sean is his spin is a little bit different than everybody else's. And he has a, a pretty keen view on the weather. And that's what I wanted to have him on here for talk about this morning. So, Sean, how you doing, bud? Doing great. Looking forward to the discussion today. We we have a wild situation in the Southern Hemisphere that's taking place that, uh, you know, many of your listeners may not understand the ramifications of, so we might talk about that today. All right. So one thing about Sean that he does, he sends out these smart money reports, and these reports are, are very good. Um, if you if you get a hold of Sean and talk to him, see how you can get those sent over to you. But these, these reports that he sends out are just chock full of information. And he does a uh, he does a lot of stuff with algorithms that follow kind of the insiders and stuff like that and what they're doing what they see happening and has a lot of stuff built into uh, into these algorithms and and one of the ones that popped up here that I got in my inbox here yesterday was a special report on the dairy market. Now here of late the dairy market has has, has done a amazing rebound. Man, they went from being like I don't know if we should keep milking cows to now they're making some pretty decent money in that sixteen to seventeen dollar range. I mean, so they're they're doing even up in the 18s, you know, so they're doing pretty good right now. We actually briefly hit 19 briefly last week on the spot price. Okay. Wow. So look at that. So the dairy price has just completely rebounded. Um, A lot of factors are playing into that. So Sean, talk about this last money report you came out here with uh, talking about New Zealand and the weather that they see there and how that's going to affect the overall dairy market. And then some of the, the outside pressures that are, that are causing this issue in New Zealand. This time of the year uh, is when New Zealand produces their seasonal peak production. September, October, November, December, I think 70% of their production comes from these four months. So, so uh, and this is, and they're one of the dominant exporters of milk powder to China and, and other, other countries. And China buys most of their powder between now and the end of the year ahead of the holidays. So, so watching weather in New Zealand is what we do this time of the year to see if they're going to have a normal season with weather or potentially an abnormal season where production could get hit and hence could drive the price higher. And uh, we were thinking we might have a a problem this coming fall with uh, with weather in New Zealand because of of something that's just taken place in over the South Pole called a sudden stratospheric uh, warming event uh, that really has only happened maybe marginally once before. And it has the potential to create some pretty wild cold, wet weather, volatility at exactly the time that their pasture growth needs to be on all cylinders. And so we think there's a possibility that even though milk prices are high and are starting to correct a little bit, we may be in store for one more spike higher if this weather phenomena plays out the way that we think it it may here over the next two to three months. Yeah. Okay. So how's that? So that we were talking like then, I know I read the report where you're talking about you're a little bearish on milk and even though the prices are going up, you're seeing some some bearish uh, indicators out there that are that are going this and this could be a this could be a short term boost in the overall milk 
markets where we can see maybe jump up into the 20s, possibly. Yeah, the longer term picture doesn't change our bearish idea, uh, Casey. I mean, it, it remains bearish, but but in the near term, if we get New Zealand production to come off the top because of adverse weather, yes, we could get a final spike into the 20s. Um, and remember, the higher you go, the more you hurt demand, uh, the more you hurt exports, the more you induce greater production growth rates. And all these things are starting to happen now. But if we were to push into the 20s for any period of time, you know, we would really rock, the, you know, rock those, those indicators uh, into further bearish story. It would actually create a more bearish outcome later on in 2020. So, so the, what we were trying to convey it doesn't change our bearish perspective for later on in 2020, but there could be a wild, let's say, three-month spike in price. We saw this several years ago. They had a cold, wet pattern where production was off 5%, 7% from normal. And we did have a very short, quick burst of, of prices into the end of the year that set the top for the next 12 months. And so we think we could be set up for something like that. Right. So this atmospheric disturbance that you're talking about, this, uh, this heating, this warming trend that we're seeing up here in the upper levels of the atmosphere, very similar to what we saw this spring up here, right? So that, that's what was driving that, that colder, wetter weather down from the north and, and lasted longer. So obviously New Zealand's in their, in their spring production time right now. I mean, and we're rolling into spring, we're rolling into fall type of thing. So um, similar situation as to what we saw this spring with us up here in the northern hemisphere. I remember, when the, if we talked about this before, when the sun goes quiet, when the sunspots go quiet, um, and the solar radiation hitting the atmosphere is reduced, and you cool the upper atmosphere, it shrinks the atmosphere down and causes the jet stream to go from a zonal flow to a kind of a loopy meridional flow. And that <clears throat> change in the upper level weather wind patterns causes these stratospheric warming events like we saw this winter and spring where we saw bomb cyclones, polar vortex, endless rain, stagnant weather patterns. It's the same exact process. The only difference is we have seen these sudden stratospheric warming events in the Northern Hemisphere over the North Pole. We've, you know, we've seen several of them in the recent past. We have not really seen this happen in the Southern Hemisphere over the South Pole uh, until now. And, um, and it's a it's off the charts. I, I, I can't convey to you how off the charts it is, but literally we went back as far as we could, uh, you know, 80 years ago to now on records. And there isn't anything in any order of magnitude close to this event that we're And it's, by the way, it's still ongoing. We're still warming. We haven't yet reached the peak of this warming event. And so we have to believe that the impact to weather in the Southern Hemisphere, especially for those regions uh, that are uh, impacted are going to be felt. And we think October is going to start to, uh, to show that. And what we're watching uh, is something called the Antarctic Oscillation Index. Those in the Northern Hemisphere may understand the Arctic Oscillation, uh, that when the Arctic Oscillation goes negative, it shows that we're ready to drive a much more aberrant, wobbly pattern around the North Pole. Well, the Antarctic Oscillation Index, if it goes negative, is suggesting that we're going to wobble around the southern hemisphere, the southern South Pole, creating this aberrant weather patterns, cold and wet, volatile patterns. Um, and right now, the models are saying that we're going to push into negative territory as we move into early October and beyond. Um, and if that, in fact, happens, which we think it will, we should start to see the weather really get crazy here 
um, certainly for at least the next couple of months. The, once, you, once you get one of these warming events, they, they have a two to three month tail to it before they calm down. So we would expect this to be a feature for Brazil, Argentina, South Africa, Australia, and New Zealand all the way to the end of the year. Yeah. So that's a big deal, man. I mean, we're talking about dryness down in Brazil now, and they're having some issues with getting some crop planted. And you've seen the market kind of rebound a little bit on that. And you see what's happened with soybeans and corn over the last 10 days or so. I mean, you've seen some pretty positive reaction to what's going on there. Um, <clears throat> as these weather patterns keep growing and keep doing, I mean, I guess step back here a little bit. It's a little counterintuitive to think about what you just said. So you're, there's, there's a warm air mass over the Southern hemisphere, over the South pole, and that's making it cold and wet everywhere else. So you would think that it, it you know, I'm just a dumb equipment guy. So when you start thinking about this, you think it would be the reverse of that. There'd be, it would cause a more of a, a, a warmer, drier situation out there just because you're associating that with heat. But you start looking at places like Australia that have had some just devastating droughts over the last three to five years. This kind of situation here, when it moves into that, I mean, are we talking like maybe there could be an abnormal amount of rain hit Australia now and, and that what was drought stricken is now a flood area? I mean, we could have similar to what we saw in the in the Illinois, you know, the middle corn belt of, of the U.S. here in Australia and New Zealand? Um, with these stratospheric warming events, Casey, it, it depends upon how wobbly this, because when you have warming over the South Pole, it displaces the cold air off. Right. And the, the AAO, they call it the Antarctic Oscillation, the more negative it becomes, it shows a greater amplitude away from the South Pole. So it depends how aberrant that that uh, that pattern becomes. Um, certainly, in any context, the regions that would be impacted would be New Zealand, South Africa, Argentina. Under any circumstance, a negative AAO, even a weak one, would affect those regions. To affect Australia, we would need it to become a very, very strongly negative Antarctic oscillation, which okay. we may get, by the way. I mean. We're, we're watching it. We, we get readings every day, every week on it. So it's possible. We're, we're trying to take what we call the base case, the middle case. That if we get a moderate negative AAO, what would that mean? It would mean for sure New Zealand gets cold and wet. South Africa gets cold and wet. Argentina gets cold and wet. Um, remember, the south, southern hemisphere, the, the land regions are further away from the South Pole than the land in the northern hemisphere is from the North Pole. So we have, we have greater ground to cover. So in that context, what it probably means for now, unless we get confirmation of a really negative AAO, is that Brazil and Australia will remain hot and dry because it, the, the polar vortex will deprive the normal weather patterns, the normal wind patterns, and it'll cause a stagnant dry pattern over Brazil and Australia, which is exactly, by the way, what we are and have been seeing. So our best guess right now is that Australia and Brazil remain hot and dry, but Argentina, South Africa, and New Zealand get cold and wet. Both are going to be not desirable for agricultural production, just equal and opposite. Right on. Okay. All right. So let's bounce over here and talk about <clears throat> what we see happening in, in uh, South America with, with some dry weather and, and the stuff we see happening down there. And then the response that we've seen here with corn um, harvest is basically kind of starting to fire up. You know, we got guys down in Texas starting to pick corn and, and uh, cut some beans and that kind of stuff and really starting to kind of move their way 
moved away north and what they what they've seen and um you can go back and forth with the usda a million times about what the what the actual planted acres are and what the actual number of yields are going to be and so on and so forth but um you know, I've been following a, a company called Indigo, which I'm sure many people are familiar with, and they use satellite imagery to, to kind of peg where they think the corn's going to be at. And they've they've jumped up from 155 to 159 here this last report that came out in August. Um, so that'll be uh, or not August September report that came out, and um, so I'm, I'm I just kind of take a look at what I see happening around here. You know, you kind of take a look at your own environment and then kind of make some decisions or make some kind of educated guess on what the rest of the world is going to be like based on news you've read and everything else. But you drive what did get held out here. If you drive down the road and take a look at what you see, it looks amazing from the road until you get out in the field and actually start looking at it. And the field's not there or there's some tip back and there's a lot of things going on in the corn, uh, corn crop right now. So um, as the subsequent monthly crop reports come out, as harvest starts rolling into the January report, you've got to think there's going to be some pretty big swings one way or the other. I, I would guess, I mean, until the USDA comes out and, and changes that, that overall um, projected yield number. So I guess talk about that a little bit, Sean, and, and how do you kind of see that all shaping up and working out? I mean, the only thing we know to do is what have been the trends in late developing crops in the past? Mm-hmm. You know, we went back and looked at the four uh, latest developing crops. Of course, this one is number one. Okay. Um, what happened? What happened to the yield expectations in, in August, September versus the actual uh, that came out later in the year? And the USDA ha- has been 10 to 12 bushel to the acre too high in their August, September report consistently on corn, for example, from what it actually was. Does that mean that's going to happen this time? I don't know. But I do know that we've never had a year like this. Those years were delayed planting, but they were the conditions that we had this year are unprecedented, uh, even even those years. But I guess what I'm trying to get at is that there's a there's a tendency, like you just said, it looks great from the road. It looks great, you know, great from you know, it looks great, but it's not so good when you get down to actually what the kernel fill looks like, what the test weight looks like, how much moisture there is. You got to dry it down. All those things that are going to be taking place. Um, it, it seems that the USDA's methodology, how their process that they do to come up with yield overestimates those kinds of considerations, and they only come clean on that later on in the year. And so so we, we have to assume that the, the, the yields on corn are going to be less than what the USDA is currently saying. And if that's true, then there's going to have to be an upward move here at some point whenever that reality uh, is understood. Now, it, it may take until November, December. We, you know, that's always hard to know the timing of when you get that come to Jesus moment, right? But right. Uh, we believe it's going to come and, and, and it's going to be a downward adjustment and the market's going to have to figure on instead of a 2 billion bushel carry out, something 1.3-ish billion. If you, if you work out the numbers, 1.3 billion is probably where I think we think we need to go. The other thing we're noticing, massive cash basis. Uh, still remains extremely firm in many, many areas. And we're supposed to have 2 billion bushels of corn lying around in August. And I know the, the harvest is a little delayed. I get that. But but to have this, such a strong basis, counter-seasonal, and farmers have sold 95% of their old crop uh, way ahead of normal, where's all the corn? Right. You know, where is all this corn? I mean, ethanol is, is, 
NFL demands terrible. Exports are terrible, yet it seems like people have to pay up to get corn. We're, we're wondering what's going on. Do we actually have 2 billion bushels of corn lying around? Is that a mistake? I, I don't know, but something's not at one plus one is that is equaling three right now. And we don't know what, what's, what's wrong. Some of these, something's wrong here with this picture and we're trying to figure out what it is. Yeah. Now there's a lot of stuff going on in the market right now that doesn't make a lot of sense, which great segue into my next, my next lever here. So the Chinese have come to the table and they've bought, they've been buying some hogs here of late. Um, the, uh, the beef uh, complex has kind of, you know, as far as production goes, has rebounded quite nicely from that Tyson fire in Kansas uh, about a month ago now, I guess it's been. Um, but that being said, the margins are still for Packers are just through the roof right now. And there's, there's just the, the even though we're, we're butchering the same amount, number of cows that we've done in, in the past, it's still, the price never came back. And I, I get why the dip in the price is there because production and those kind of things, I get all that, but man, we're back to where we should be. And, and what that again, one plus one's equal and three there. And it's not making much sense. So talk about that a little bit and what you see happening there. Well, as you know, there's an investigation going on, right? USDA uh, is investigating what's going on with this dramatic record packer margins that happened after the fire that have not gone back to normal. As you said, just said, uh, despite the fact that we're kind of, you know, the, the other plants have been able to increase their efficiency and work Saturday, you know, and move more and, and, and they've been able to do it, yet the margins remain out. So the thought process is there's some funny business going on or the thought process is in order to keep those guys running as hard as they can, they need that margin to, in order to pay over time to find extra people to run as fast as they can to move all that because they're running on overdrive that that's what's needed to keep those plants running possibly at beyond normal capacity or normal, normal run rates. Um, I'm not sure what the truth is. Uh, I do think that the margins should be lower than they are. I do think there's some funny business potentially going on. And when you have a few players controlling the game, uh, you know, there's uh, there's a chance for, for some distortions. Um, and, and obviously, and I think we're supposed to hear back from the USDA's investigation at the end of the year, what their findings are about was there anything weird going on and what can be done in the future to not let that happen again. But I, I do question such incredible profitability for so long, even though we've kind of recovered from, are we going to be able to move all these, these cow, cattle through, through the processors, which we, now we know we can. It, it doesn't, I get somewhat, we need a better margin, but not all of it. And I agree with you. It's one plus one is adding to three, not two. So. Yeah. Yep. So, okay. So African swine fever is still something that gets buried way in the back of the, uh, of the news that we hear now, but it's, you know, we, it pokes its head up every once in a while when we hear about it and it's, it's spread into uh, the Koreas and it's down into uh, Vietnam, like we talked about, and it's over into, uh, you know, Eastern, it kind of make its way into Eastern Europe a little bit too. They're, they're talking about Russia and, and I've heard some stuff over in Ukraine and those areas. Um, that being said, China has, like I said earlier, bought some pigs here of late and it sounds like they're going to be buying some more. I didn't see there's supposed to be an export uh, report out today. Um, and that's going to show what some, what the hog numbers look like and, and what those export numbers look like. Um, everyone's waiting to see how much, how much China actually took. And China's kind of the king of, of uh, doing the, well, we're going to take them, but we're going to run through the Philippines first before we get them type of thing, you know, and those kind of stuff. So there could be some big export numbers, but not necessarily to China, but so, 
I guess talk about the hog market a little bit and and where we're at. It's kind of been a here last week. They kind of took a kick in the pants and and uh, had some pretty bullish uh, rundowns there. But it looks like they've had some pretty modest rebounds here of late. Yeah, I mean the hog market's had a big rebound on the idea that <coughs> China is buying. You know whether that's a long term thing or not. I mean if you look at the uh, the pork price in China going parabolic daily going parabolic i mean we all we've said all along at some point they're going to have to buy us whether they like it or not they bought as much from the brazilians as they can so you know wh- whether we whether we get a trade deal or not we still feel that they're going to have to buy as much us pork as they can cuz having those kind of parabolic prices um with no hope of rebuilding the herd that we can see anytime soon you know that's a it's a that's a political risk uh, for unrest in the country oh. if they don't solve that problem. So, so the U.S. is going to sell a lot of pork to them. And, you know, yes, the it's been a frustrating year because they've uh, they, the Chinese have played games with trade war. They buy a little, they don't buy a little. But they're now at the point they really can't avoid buying from the U.S. anymore. They have to buy or else they risk instability within the country. And so if you look at the pork price, uh, the uh, the uh, the pig price in um, – in China, I think it equates roughly around a dollar seventy, dollar seventy-five right now. So that's the difference between where we are and where their pit price is. So a lot of upside to go, and, and we would think that you know we could have a wild spike trade uh, in, in hogs into the early first quarter because their holidays are January, February, and they got to stock up and make sure they can feed everybody during the holidays. And so it could be a wild ride at the end of the year. We don't really see. Uh, the pot hog price doing anything but going up. It could still be volatile on a day-to-day basis, but we feel it's got to go back up to that 90, 100 area like it did before and, and stay there. So, yeah, yeah, yeah that's a that's a crazy thing, man. Because it's a uh, they can't they can't buy enough pigs really to to offset their need anyway. So it's it's always going to be a supply and demand issue with them heavily on the the demand side and low on the supply side just because of the number of pigs that they've got. I mean, I just. I got to think that <clears throat> now you've read a lot of reports where it's 30, 40% of their hog hog thing coming out of China. So if you usually take that times two, that's pretty close to about what, what it actually is when it comes out to see said. So their, their hog population has just been devastated. And, you know, there's been plenty of reports out that show no matter how many pigs they buy, they cannot under any circumstances replenish that stuff anytime soon, but pigs do reproduce quick, but they still have to feed their people. <clears throat> The amount that we're talking about, Casey. Um, now, of course, there's other ways to solve the problem with chickens. Uh, yep. You know, the, the, the chicken production in China is up 15 percent year over year. Right. Production here for chickens is up. I, I think the number is seven, eight percent. You know, we can get the chicken thing going really, really fast, and I think that's the most immediate response. Is okay. You know, we 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 know the pork thing. We we can get our hands around it. You know, over the next couple of years. As the rest of the world produces more, the U.S. produces more, Brazil produces more, we finally start getting our hog herd back up. Um, but it's going to be a, a, a tough slog uh, to get there. But uh, uh, so the whole protein market's going to be uh, uh, pressured higher um, until uh, you know until we really can normalize supply and demand and figure out what the new normal is for all this. Um, and, and and we do believe there's permanent demand destruction. That's taking place where there's a certain amount of demand that will not go back to pork because they've they've moved over to chicken and beef and fish, and some of that demand is is um, it's going to stay that way. So 
if, if one is to look at an area in agriculture where uh, the price can override economic currency um, and uh, you know and, and, and monetary factors, I'd have to believe that the livestock sector uh, can go higher under most any circumstance or that I can think of. Uh, at least over the next three to six months, it's really hard to see how demand will will die. Even if the Chinese devalue, even if the world goes into a global recession, even if Trump gets impeached, even if oil goes to 100, I still don't see the demand going away. They have to feel this need no matter what. Yep. So, Yeah, it's, it's a it's a crazy deal. But yeah, it's, it's one of those things where they can't, there's a whole, they have a hard time feeling just because the amount. It's one of those things like, you know, you're, you're trying to run your business and, and your bank account is stays at zero because every time you put something in, you take twice as much out. You know what I mean? So it's, that's kind of where they're, that's where they're at. So it's a crazy, crazy aspect uh, of what's going on there. So, all right, let's talk about cotton real quick. So cotton is, uh, it's definitely something that has been seeing a, a, a run down here of late. They're, they're kind of bouncing all over the place, but it seems like it's, it's going down. And we've talked about it here in the past, we're talking about the slowing of the global, of the global economy and all the stuff we see happening out there with that. Um, we are, uh, you have negative rates, negative lending rates uh, from, from the European banks right now, um, which I guess, I'm not sure how that works. I guess they're giving you money to go borrow money, I guess. I don't know how that, how that works, but, but um, you know, we're trying to see in the U.S. They had another uh, uh, rollback of the, uh, of the overnight lending rate from the, from the Fed. Uh, so we're starting to see some guys, they're really some contracting here and they're trying to get ahead of this stuff as much as they can, as far as recession goes And cotton is a direct correlator of that. So talk about the cotton market we see happening there. Uh, the cotton market has a habit of getting ahead of economic activity in either up or down. So it'll go down before the slowdown. It'll go up before the, the rebound, you know, it kind of, it kind of senses and smells when things are going to turn. And usually what happens is, when the central banks, including especially the Fed, start lowering rates and printing money again, uh, that's telling you that there's going to be a rebound a year from now, year and a half from now. I mean, that's you just look at a right. Fed starts printing here. They start lowering rates here. There's a rebound a year and a half later, and the cotton market tends to bottom pretty closely after they start lowering rates and printing money. Um, so we think that most of the negative economic activity has been seen in the price of cotton going down from 90 cents where it was a year ago down to 55 cents where it was just a few weeks back. Um, and now we're, we think we're starting to turn up as the market in cotton looks ahead to some better activity longer term. Um, and we've had weather problems, extreme flooding problems in India. We've had a lot of problems in Texas with drought and the conditions falling. Um, and, and potentially if there's some detente or some calming of the trade war where the, Ch the Chinese want to start buying some agriculture like they seem like they're wanting to, maybe, you know, they have to buy a U.S. cotton because the cotton they grow is lower quality cotton and they need to, to kind of uh, blend high quality U.S. cotton in theirs in order to make it work. So, so there's, a, there's a positive component to that. If they're going to be in the market for U.S. agriculture, certainly they're going to be in the market buying U.S. cotton as we, as we dominate the export market. So for all those reasons, seasonally, October is, is, the, is the poster child for seasonal lows. We like to make seasonal lows in October, and then we turn up, you know, as harvest, you know, kind of gets going, and we, we start looking the other way. So for a whole bunch of seasonal, technical, weather-related, um, and monetary reasons, you know, we think cotton is made alone. 
and we're starting to come off the bottom here, albeit slowly, but we, we think we're coming off the bottom here. And we, we actually like the prospects for cotton heading into the, heading into the first. Into the right on. All right, Sean. Well, good stuff as usual. Plenty of stuff going on out there. Folks want to reach out to you and <clears throat> pick your brain and see what's going on. What's the best way to do that? Hackettadvisors.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. On the home, you know, we have webinars. We have a lot of podcasts, a lot of interviews that uh, go over a lot of our thinking. And that'd be a good way for, for your listeners to see if what we do might be of value to them. Right on. Okay. What's your YouTube channel? Because that last that New Zealand report you had, you have a, that's where I, I listened to your uh, YouTube podcast there. What's your YouTube channel? Uh, I believe it's Sean Hackett, I believe. I think. Yeah, Sean Hackett. That is that is correct. That is your that is your uh I guess I should know YouTube. that, right? <laughs> <laughs> that is your YouTube channel. Well, good deal, Sean. Well, uh, this is the Moving Iron Podcast. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, SoundCloud, and off the uh, Almighty Global Ag Network. So uh hit me up on Facebook. Twitter, Instagram, if you want to ask a question or get a hold of Sean or whatever it is, but send me a, send me a link there on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Moving Iron LLC. So until next time, Sean, take care of yourself. We'll talk to you again, buddy. That's great. Thanks, Mr. Casey. Actually, we'll talk to you, what, a couple days here, not too far away, be at the uh, uh, Moving Iron Monday, Summit. Monday, Tuesday, yeah, just a few days. We'll be up there in uh, Tennessee. Yeah. Nashville, Nashville, right? Good old Nashville. <laughs> nothing, nothing good. Nothing fun happens in that town. That's for sure. <laughs> All right, buddy. We'll talk to you later, man. All right. Sounds great. Thanks. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years, you'll find us here. Moving on